Kate Johnson is based in Denver in her role as Lumen Technologies CEO and president, but she's been spending a lot of time in the Seattle area recently, and not just because one of the local stadiums bears the company's name. You've been here yeah. uh, over a period of time For now. For a couple months, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, why? So we've been serving residential and business customers for decades in the state of Washington. It's a very important geography for us. Uh, we have about 1,200 employees. We've got about maybe 20,000 fiber route miles. Just in 2022 alone, we invested more than $100 million in the business here. And you're referring to Washington State because you have 29,000 employees That's broadly, right. but That's right. that subset are here. It's part of a broader effort by Johnson and her team at Lumen Technologies to reinvent the publicly traded telecommunications company, which was formed by the combination of Level 3 Communications and CenturyLink in 2017 and rebranded as Lumen in 2020. Johnson, previously president of Microsoft U.S., was named Lumen CEO a year ago and took over the role in November 2022. So I've been here for a couple of months. I, I do have some family here and, you know, I have a home here, but uh, I've been spending time meeting with our customers, meeting with our employees, understanding the business and our challenges here. Think about the importance of a major tech hub for the United States and how you know, much we can do to serve that, grow our business and learn from it. The hyperscalers are here, amazing technology companies for our consumer business, quantum fiber. This is the perfect market for it because it's got these tech savvy families. The market is growing and, and we are well positioned to serve it. So I've been spending time sort of making sure we're making the appropriate investments that I'm understanding our opportunities and that we're capitalizing on them. Educated as an engineer with past experience at companies including Oracle, Red Hat, and Deloitte, Johnson is one of 53 female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. She's charged with sparking new growth at a company that reported a net loss of $1.5 billion last year after special charges, with revenue of $17.5 billion, which was down 11% year over year. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop, and I sat down recently with Kate Johnson, Lumen Technologies CEO, at Seattle's Lumen Field to discuss topics including the evolution of the telecom industry and the need to reinvent the classic business model amid the rapid rise in data and the rise of generative AI. Her ongoing efforts to change Lumen's culture, including an unusual series of internal meetings that have been ultimately constructive but were initially unsettling for some longtime employees and executives. Her tenure at Microsoft and her recent experiences using Microsoft 365 Copilot as part of her work. Lumen has been one of the companies piloting Microsoft's corporate AI tools prior to their broader release in November. That's all coming up on this special midweek interview episode of the GeekWire podcast. Well, Kate Johnson, thank you very much for speaking with me. Great to be here. Thanks, Todd. We are here at Lumen Field in Seattle, and a lot of people know Lumen because of the place where the Seattle Seahawks play NFL games. Lumen is not an NFL owner <laughs> for right. anybody who's out there. You've described the company as a traditional telecommunications company meets tech. You've been in this role as CEO and president for almost a year now. What is Lumen Technologies? Lumen Technologies is a beautiful company that basically has roots in telecom. We connect people, data, and applications quickly, securely, and effortlessly. That's our mission. 
We've been doing the connecting people data and applications for a long, long time. And right now we're working on the quickly, securely, and effortlessly part, which is basically bringing telecom into the digital era. For somebody like me who obviously uses broadband, in fact, I'm a Lumen customer at home and a CenturyLink customer at work. Okay. And of course, CenturyLink's brand is still used in some respects for on the business side, at least in the bills that I get. It is, yes. Yes. That's right. CenturyLink and Level 3 came together most recently to form Lumen Technologies. So... I would have assumed, naively it turns out, that most of Lumen's revenue comes from broadband internet service. But I was looking at your 10K as someone does when they're Mm -hmm. about to interview the CEO. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's actually not the case, is it? So we have two businesses. We have a consumer business that hits your home. Right now, we're in the middle of a, of a pretty big growth period of building fiber to the home. And in our quantum fiber brand, it's a, a gig or multi-gig capability, hugely reliable, extremely fast, symmetric up and download speeds, and uh, is part of our go-forward story, part of transforming this great company. We also, you know, we serve small businesses with that capability as well. We have a very robust enterprise business. So we help companies move data, transport data, wherever they need to, whenever they need to, whether it's to the public cloud or in between their own data centers or somewhere near the edge. It was just fascinating to me, the the breadth of the business, the, the different aspects of the business. One of the things that you've talked about in your time as CEO so far is the fact that Lumen needs to move from looking in that's right. To looking out. And part of that change in focus, I understand, is a function of the fact that the company has this combination of these different acquisitions that it's done. How would you describe the challenge that you face as CEO and the transformation that this company needs to make? So if you think about it, I'll go all the way back to telecom and its roots in terms of being a core part of societal innovation, right? So you went from smoke signals to telegraph to telephone. You you know ventured into radio and television, into satellite and network, and eventually internet. And it was a key part of driving productivity for society. But it lost its way somewhere along the way, and it's gone through a period of both consolidation as well as commoditization. And so we're faced with this explosive growth from a need for networking. You've got cloud and gen AI, right? So companies are looking at how the heck do I move these huge swaths of data from place to place in a dynamic fashion in between networks. And here we are in in telecom being uniquely positioned to serve in that way but our business models haven't really evolved to support it. So, uh, you know, in fact, since the breakup of the monopoly, the business models to serve customers haven't changed all that much. That's the real unique opportunity, and that's what we're doing at Lumen is we're saying, okay, all of these companies, corporations, big and small, are moving into the digital era and need to take advantage of these new technologies, and they need a way to transport this data, and we're, we're here to serve, but we need to meet them where they are. We need to put them in the center, and we have to obsess about their needs, their problems, and figure out how to solve them and get back to our roots of innovation that actually drives more productivity. And I think that Lumen's uniquely positioned to do that. So we're pretty excited. It's interesting because you've talked a lot about the need to transform the culture at Lumen. And a lot of that goes back to what I just mentioned about looking outward versus inward. 
But how much of the nitty gritty do you as the CEO need to direct versus setting broad goals and then allowing the team and your vice presidents and the people in that realm determine how you're going to get beyond this commodity offering? Super interesting question, Todd, because we're, we're at this sort of unique crossroads where I brought a lot of tech people into Lumen to help me transform the company. The reason being, we need people who understand digital. We need people who understand the art of the possible of what it means to obsess about customers' needs and shape your services to support them. But we also need traditional telco people who understand the complexity and sort of like the beautiful innovation that and the capabilities that our network provides. And it's, it's definitely a better together. I have a leadership philosophy that is all about proximity and how proximity drives empathy. Okay, so when you ask about like how close into the nitty gritty do I need to get, to learn, I come from tech, right? So to learn telco and the art of the possible and the opportunities that we have, I feel like I really need to spend time immersing. And that's what I've been doing uh, in the past nine months that I've been there, is jumping in at all levels of the company across all the functions and just saying, what do we do? What do you do? How do you do it? What are your, your stumbling blocks, your problems? What are the challenges? And I do talk about culture all the time because as Every company on the planet needs to you know, enter into the digital world. What's the biggest barrier between every company and wild success of the future? It's the humans that comprise the company. They're both the opportunity and the challenge. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about culture, how to unlock our people to be excited about the opportunities ahead, to ditch the fear, to be okay with learning and making mistakes. And I do that by taking little soil samples at every level of the company. As I understand it, you started by assembling virtually five of your VP plus executives at a time, at groups at a time, and just scheduling an hour with them and saying, what do you want to talk about? And the reaction was initially, whoa, I'm yeah. really afraid <laughs> to talk yeah. about something. Tell yeah. me about that process. Well, I mean, imagine this this new crazy woman coming in uh, from <laughs> tech into, you know, a company that had been through a series of mergers. I'd just come off of, uh, well, actually, I was coming off of a sabbatical, so I was extremely well-rested and maybe a little bit over over energetic <laughs> uh, for their tastes. But I had just done a, a stint at Microsoft where we went through a pretty significant transformation that's still ongoing. Uh, I learned a ton and I was bringing those new ideas and that's that's a lot and it's scary. And so also I, I think some of the prior management teams of, of this company and, and the various companies that, that were part of the many mergers that had gone on, they were maybe more old school in their leadership style where it was, hey, I'm, I'm you know just the person at the top. I don't necessarily need to connect to all the levels. That won't work in a transformation of this magnitude. You really have to connect with the humans that help run your company and to understand where the problems are and what the opportunities are to fix them. So in the beginning, it was tough. And then guess what? It started, you know, sort of, I don't know, the, the tightness started unraveling and the, uh, the fluid started flowing back and forth. You know, the conversations became more fluid and it was, it's kind of exciting because that's where I find out most of my aha moments are during those conversations. I started with the uh, VP plus community, you know, SVPs and VPs. I then set up the same similar conversations with directors and senior directors. Again, it took a little while to get them going. 
Then I uh, went to manager communities and, and I, uh, I do a couple of IC meetings, individual contributor meetings a month as well. And you have to really think about the audience and you know the expectations of the learnings can be different in the various groups. We have a pact at the door. We don't record the meetings, and uh, I won't use names because you know there's still places where people fear bringing problems to the table. Less so since I started, but it's still there. But then when they see me listen, and then we actually fix a problem, it gets kind of exciting, and that's happened a bunch. And I should point out, in case it's not clear, the point of asking them what they want to talk about was so you could listen. Yeah. That was the main point. It's for my learning. I, and I'll tell you, I I brought my leadership team with me to do a garage visit here in Seattle just recently, just a couple of weeks ago. And we spent time with all of the field techs and their management teams, hourly and, and union em, and employees. And we said, what's on your mind? Everything. Tell me everything. And we usually have some pretty lively conversations about the reality of the technology that they have. Maybe the systems aren't good enough. Sometimes they have a lot of open positions and they need to uh, to do recruiting. And there was this one field tech who said, hey, I remember, I'll never forget this. He looked at me straight. He said, I can tell within five seconds if somebody's going to be a long-term, loyal and productive field technician. But I don't get to go to these recruiting events. And I kind of looked at, you know, my my leadership team and sort of said, tilted my head, like, why not? And so he went to the past couple of them and he sent me a note the other day and he said, not only did I get to help influence who we hired, but I feel committed to keep them in the family for as long as I'm at this company. And that little lesson, that round trip of listening to a problem, understanding what he thinks we should do, letting him do it, empowering him to help us fix it, has helped him feel heard. It's helped us fix a problem. And um, it's built some positive energy around the intent of what we're trying to do here. You mentioned generative AI and some of your history at Microsoft. I want to talk about that. When we come back, you're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop from GeekWire. We are on location this week at Lumen Field talking with Lumen Technologies CEO and President Kate Johnson. Kate, your prior role was at Microsoft United States. You were the president of Microsoft US, and you were actually based here in the Pacific Northwest. That's right. I realize you've gone to Denver since now in your role at Lumen. What did you learn at Microsoft? I know that's a big question, but oh, what man. specifically did you learn there that you're now applying to your job at Lumen? Yeah, well, you know, I was lucky enough to have a front row seat into the transformation of Microsoft under Satya Nadella's leadership, which was... I mean, it's a business case in, in turnarounds, right? And uh, a lot of the playbook that I have has uh, been born out of the learnings from my time at Microsoft and from watching the things that we did really well and the things we sort of learn our way through. The pivot to cloud, Microsoft was, when, when Satya took over, it, struggling. And they had you know, this traditional license on-prem you know, technology model 
they were a behemoth, but they were watching cloud go by as uh, Amazon and AWS was flexing their muscles. And getting a very large company to pivot like that is a significant undertaking. I don't want to oversimplify what Satya did and is still doing today. He put innovation and the customer at the center. He recognized the profound importance of culture and enabling his people to succeed with growth mindset and various other, you know, concepts that empowered them to try to do new things. And he managed the complexities of change. Cloud changed everything. So our customers weren't necessarily ready. So we had to help them prepare. Everything we did at the company had to change from product development to sales to finance to operations to support everything. And Wall Street had to think about it differently, right? Uh, every every sort of angle uh, had to change. And when you think about Lumen Technologies and our trajectory, how do we pivot this company to growth? It's going to be a page out of of that playbook, which is, I think there's this huge physical network that has an enormous opportunity to digitize it, to make it consumable by customers in a much more seamless and effortless way, to dynamically change to meet their needs. It's kind of like, you know, we think about it your network, your way. Right now, it's our network and, you know, you have to kind of meet us uh, somewhere in the middle in order to consume it. Our view of the future is really about cloudifying telco. And I sense that we're going to see the same change patterns that happened as AWS and Microsoft and Google and other companies really built up the the cloud business uh, in the world today. There's going to be this change that has to happen in the way that customers expect the services from you, how they consume them, support them, manage them, use them, pay for them, et cetera. There's going to be huge change inside of companies that adopt this kind of model. And we're preparing for that at Lumen. We're, we're leading the charge that way. And there's going to be a, a lot of interplay with Wall Street to make sure that we're measured in a way that's understandable and consumable to analysts. I was just going to say, I think one of the magic tricks that Satya Nadella and Amy Hood, Microsoft's right. chief financial officer, pulled off mm -hmm. was early on, they created their own benchmark for success. That's right. Microsoft's commercial cloud revenue mm -hmm. and said by such and such a date, we'll be at so many tens of billions of dollars of commercial cloud revenue. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating for me as a reporter covering the company at the time, how much that shifted Wall Street's view from EPS and revenue growth like it was under Steve Ballmer uh, or like Ballmer would have wanted it to be uh, return of capital to shareholders overall, to something that was much more in the company's control. Do you have your own magic number that you've come up with at Lumen? So we're working on that right now. I think the playbook that Amy and Satya and the rest of the leadership team ran was the right one. They started by creating a narrative and controlling it and saying, this is what great looks like. They then delivered what they promised they were going to do, which was incredibly important from a credibility perspective. And they showed how they could change the composition of the company over time and make it much more valuable. That did not happen overnight. It was about persistent and consistent delivery. We intend to do the same thing. When you are 
you know, taking a behemoth and disrupting an industry at the same time, you have to be cautious about what metrics you do choose. We're in the process of doing that, but the parallels are incredible. And, and we see a lot of learnings from the cloud market and we'll be applying them accordingly. Are there any examples that you can cite of things that Lumen might do or is already doing that represent that cloudifying of telecommunications? Well, sure. Our network as a service offering is, uh, you know, kind of like dynamic network consumption. Your, your network, your way, pay for what you consume. That's very different than the old model. We are excited because it's going to help us take share in traditional telco markets. And that's important because that's how we're going to stabilize the business. It also is a digital platform that enables us to sell more services, more advanced services up the stack, especially in the security space, especially in the edge fabric space, et cetera. So it's a growth play and it's, a, it's the kernel of it, right? It's the first seed, but it's an important one. How will your competitor landscape change as the company changes? Like who are your competitors today and, yeah. and do you see yeah, we, different competitors in the future? Sure, we have traditional competitors in telco, the, the all the usual suspects. And then we have some over-the-top providers where maybe there's a digital offering that can run on a platform that provides different kinds of voice capabilities, you know, in the cloud and things like that. And everybody's got their sort of version of what the future like uh, looks like and everybody's placing their bets. I think as we start to describe to our customers, especially on the enterprise side, what great looks like in terms of a telecom company putting them at the center, our vision of network as a service and, and all things around that supporting that becomes very compelling. And again, it's because companies are faced with this, um, this huge surge of data that they need to pass back and forth between on-prem, the edge, and the cloud. Gen AI is going to uh, add multiples to that data workload, and they're going to need the capacity, but they're not going to want it at the pace that traditional telecom brings. And so that's the vision is that how about everything we used to do in weeks and months, we'll do an instance, you know, in an instant for you, and we'll make sure the capacity is such that uh, there's zero gravity, as I like to say, or, or, you know, low latency. Not to keep comparing everything to the public cloud computing market, but what you're describing sounds a little bit like serverless computing, where somebody isn't renting the server for a month, they're paying based on the amount of compute that they consume? That's right. It's consumption-based capability is what the model is. That's why when I say we're cloudifying telecom, you're always going to need a physical network, right? It's just like the public cloud. There are servers. They just aren't on-prem anymore You know, on, for the company. They're in a centralized location that's, you know, owned and managed by the hyperscalers. Same kind of thing. We have this incredible fiber network that has uh, unique route miles, state-of-the-art capabilities, and incredible coverage. We want to make it easier for our customers to consume that network. Coming up next, Kate Johnson's experience so far using Microsoft's corporate AI technology. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, 
As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. You've mentioned AI a couple times. Yeah. How is Lumen adopting AI, if at all, at this point inside your own operations, oh, yeah. either in customer-facing or internal-facing ways? Yeah. So we've talked about inside out, right? You know, you want to become a company that's obsessed with your customers. That's what Lumen wants. We want to put the customers at the center. To do that, you have to be with them, immersed with them in their problem spaces. And then you need all the state-of-the-art capabilities to be able to develop solutions that meet their needs in the shortest time frame possible. That's a big part of our growth story. AI makes that possible on so many different levels, right? And is an instrumental part of our go-forward strategy. If we're going to be a digital company, if we're going to have a workforce that is more productive than any other company in our industry, and I hope competitive worldwide, then we have to adopt all of the state-of-the-art capabilities. So I've been very forward-leaning in terms of my expectation for the company to use AI. And we think about it in a couple different ways. Microsoft 365 Copilot, we're one of the early adopters there because I want our people to have the state-of-the-art capabilities to get rid of the low-value work, turn it over to Copilot, and to get into the higher-order thinking and hopefully to get home for dinner more often. Have you been using Copilot in I your day-to-day -day work? I have. And for people who have not yeah. been following this, I'm intrigued by this because this is one of the most anticipated AI products, especially at a corporate slash enterprise level. It's not widely available at this point. That's right. And yet Microsoft has been signaling through its pricing that it believes this will be a high value and much in demand product. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on yeah. what it's been like for you. So it's early days, Todd, for sure, but we're very excited about the prospect. We use it in all the ways that you would expect us to you know, recording, meeting notes, summarizing actions and follow-ups and nudging calendar invitations and things like that. All the things that we all have to do, Copilot does a great job for us. When I think about content creation on so many different levels, whether I'm doing a presentation for my own board, whether my teams are doing one for customers, et cetera, it is a wonderful capability to help accelerate the process of getting great content, summarizing things cleanly with a nice design flow. And so many other things, reporting, for example, looking at spreadsheets and, and uh, giving you the learnings pretty quickly. It does not remove the need for our people to be intimately involved with detail, to understand what the key takeaways are. Part of that's training the models. And the other part is our people are just learning now how to move kind of up the value chain, what work they do and they don't do. I use Copilot and Teams pretty much every day. It's a great way for me to uh, you know, kind of recap the meeting, recap who owns what, uh, assign accountability and, and follow through. When you've got a lot of balls that you're juggling, it's a, it's a great capability to have support you. So when you, for example, get a meeting summary from Copilot after mm -hmm. a Teams meeting, how close is it? It's pretty close. I mean, sure, we, we have some modifications that we do, and maybe there's something that I had in my mind that I thought I said that I maybe didn't say, and I, you know, I add or subtract, but it's a good recap. It's also, it's got some capabilities where you can understand how inclusive the meeting was, which I love, trying to build an environment where people can speak truth to power, they can share ideas, they we can give you know voice to the quiet ones, 
And the capabilities really help me understand, is the language we're using inclusive? Are we being positive and supportive of each other? Are we not? Who said what to whom? And it, it's it's pretty dead on. Wow. One thing I don't want to overlook is, obviously, you have tons of business leadership experience, but you were trained as an engineer. Mm-hmm. How have those roots, those your roots as an engineer, influenced your career? Are you looking at these network capabilities, thinking back to some of the classes that you took as a graduate student? Like, yeah. how does that play so, out? You know, it's pretty funny because I was at a meeting just a couple of weeks ago with um, our enterprise sales leader and his team and some of their general, you know, the general managers there. Somebody asked me a question and I said, well, you know, when I think back on my career, I was an electrical engineer and my first job was at Bell Labs. I was a summer intern there and I lasted for about 11 seconds before I was like, I need to be surrounded by people and interact. So I got a job at AT AT&T in sales. That's how I started my career. And I was selling T1s uh, to cell companies to light up cell towers. I also did my senior thesis in uh, undergrad on fiber optic technology. (laughs) And the, the, the team sort of just stopped for a second and they looked and they said, and you waited eight months to tell us that? And I started laughing. I was like, oops, sorry about that. So, but, uh, you know, that was a long time ago. And um, I'm not necessarily deeply technical now, although I'm not going to lie. My technical background helps when we talk about the network, what needs to change in order to become a digital company, and frankly, what the opportunities are to commercialize a lot of these capabilities that right now are almost a secret that we are going to bring to bear pretty soon. If you were to make your pitch for what Lumen will be in a year, what would you tell somebody? Well, I mean, right now, I think if I think a year ahead, it's what I've promised uh, Wall Street and our our shareholders, our investors that we will be, which is, you know, we're going to stabilize the business. So that's about, you know, improving capabilities to stem churn and, and migrate customers. You know, there's not a high propensity for telecom to go after customers to get them to newer technology because there's fear of losing that cash cow. The reality is if you lose the customer, that's not a lot of cash. So I'd like to go after the customers and win them over with this vision and put them on the road to success to consuming modern capabilities, which is what they need for their businesses to thrive. The second piece is about driving commercial excellence. And that's everything from recognizing core capabilities in the network that we could commercialize, but simply don't right now. We have a few of those in queue that I'm excited about. And it's about making sure that we cover the market the right way, that we have a sense of curiosity on the front line where we're asking questions about problems that we may in fact be able to solve. And in fact, we may be able to sort of immerse ourselves in those problems and build an innovation engine around it for new capabilities to be developed and uh, commercialized uh, for our future. And then the third part is about innovating for growth. And that's both making sure that we have all of the enterprise systems and platforms that we need to be a truly digital company, better customer experience, better employee experience, better partner experiences, but also that we're finding what the opportunities are with these tailwinds for growth and making sure that we have intellectual property that's unique and differentiates ourselves from our competitors in the marketplace. Here's a curveball. Okay. What was it like to cold call Brene Brown? (laughs) And for people who don't know who Brene Brown is, can you fill them in? So Brene Brown is a social scientist and she calls herself a shame researcher, which is funny. She basically has 
written five or six New York Times bestsellers, maybe seven, I'm not sure, on courage and what courageous leadership really looks like. And it's all about vulnerability and um, showing up as yourself and not being afraid to be curious, not being afraid to have difficult conversations, leaning into your values and, and learning how to build trusting, valuable relationships so that you could be a great leader. And uh, the cold call, it was more like, 10 or 11 ones because she didn't answer at first. It was a couple of years ago when I was working for Microsoft. And I knew that we needed help in order to fulfill Satya's vision. And so I'd, I'd read a couple of her books and thought she would be a great partner in helping me bring that culture to life in Microsoft US. And so when I went to Lumen, I sent her a note and said, how's about we run that play again? And uh, this time she she called me back quickly and said, something to the effect of where you go, we go, let's, let's, let's do it. So she's been by my side. We're rolling out uh, her methodology, Dare to Lead, to 29,000 employees at Lumen Technologies, and it's going to be a game changer for us. In your day-to-day -day approach as the CEO of Lumen Technologies, how would you apply Brene Brown's philosophy of vulnerability and leadership? You know, it's every day, all day. And I had the fortune of going through her program when I was at Microsoft and I learned a lot, but it's a practice. It's not like you learn it one time and you're done. You have to practice it. And I would say the thing that I do every single day is apply the lens of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. So when you think you know the answer, when you think you've seen the problem before, you immediately jump to the conclusion of, let me just dish out the advice and move on to the next conversation, the next problem, the next meeting, whatever it is. But the truth is you really have to pause. You have to ask more questions because the answer is never as easy as you think it is. Kate Johnson, thank you very much for talking with me. Thank you so much for having me. Kate Johnson is president and CEO of Lumen Technologies. For related links and stories, see the show notes and the related posts on geekwire.com. This has been a special midweek interview episode of the GeekWire podcast. Let me know what you think of this format at todd at geekwire.com. We'll be back this Saturday with our regular weekly news show, including analysis this week of the FTC's landmark antitrust case against Amazon. Kurt Milton edited the show. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. Thank you for listening to the GeekWire podcast.